0: You are listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center, a space for intellectual engagement, interdisciplinary collaboration, and a vibrant graduate community at James Madison University. Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center. I'm Becca, one of the graduate assistants with the Cohen Center. And for our first episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Kevin Borg, a history professor at JMU who focuses on public history and the history of technology, and with Craig Schaefer, a second-year grad student who is a graduate assistant with the history department, about their project, Exploring Rockingham's Past. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so let's just jump right in. Tell me about your project.
1: I'll give the big picture. So the the project Exploring Rockingham's Past is a a multi-year project in its second year right now aimed at helping to link and extend relationships between the university and the community of Harrisonburg and Rockingham County. And so this is a partnership that developed last year under the energy of a graduate student last year. who. Um, reached out to uh, Chaz Haywood, the clerk of County Court. Chaz, we've known, I, I told him you should go talk to this guy because Chaz has been a supporter of, of making Rockingham Courthouse historic records available to the public, preserving them, uh, putting them in, in safe archival condition. He's worked with the, the Library of Virginia. He's worked with the History Department in the past. And so as this student last year was looking for a sort of a public history project for his graduate thesis, I said, talk to, talk to Chaz Haywood. And they developed a first phase of the project that focused on digitizing and describing all of the Rockingham County court records relating to the removal of families from what would become Shenandoah National Park in the 1930s. And that turned out to be a really big project, much bigger than we anticipated going in, because the number of records were quite numerous is a lot of records and and also the the stories that came from it and developing how to create the database how to describe the records how to, so it was a so it was a, a really massive cooperation between the courthouse and the the JMU library uh, innovation services right here the um, and the people that from digital collections to special collections to innovation services did a fabulous job helping to connect and link with Chaz at the courthouse with uh, us in the history department to make this project come together and to eventually by the spring result in a website that allows the public to access those records for the first time they could these records existed Chaz had already done some archival preservation for those records but there was no place for the public to go see them because the courthouse is just too small and so this then makes them available to all of these families that have for generations now been um, uneasy with the process of having lost their land. And so it resulted, it culminated at the end of the year in the spring with a presentation at the Mass Regional Library. Again, off campus, the whole point of this project last year and this year and going forward is to move out into the community, not to make it a thing that the campus does, but a thing the community does, right? And that Meeting at the evening at the Massanutten Regional Library was a full house. Great representation of the community, all the way from from Elkton to Harrisonburg, and real, um, real emotional stories by the people who's who experienced this and the descendants of those who experienced this. A video uh, made of it um, was viewed on on Facebook over four thousand times by the beginning of the summer. Um, and so we clearly had touched a nerve, and so um, so that I decided that we need we need to keep this going. We need this needs to not be a one-off thing. That was the whole intention in the first place was not to make it a one-off thing, but to keep going. And so working with Chaz, working with Kevin Aheg, we figured out okay, let's do this again. So I put together a team of applicants and decided we need to make this also then a a model for the graduate program and move it up to the level that says. This is not just for the history department, but this can be collaboration across disciplines for graduate students as well as out into the community as it had been in the previous year. So we created then a a framework that brings in writing and technical communications graduate student in the second semester that will then help with the communication part of these narrations, these stories. So so this year we're looking for a a graduate student um, that we thought would be good for this and Craig just popped to the top and was like, Please, will you do this? And he was game, right? So so he jumped in. And at this stage of the game, I, I'm gonna turn it over to Craig to say sort of what's it been like.
2: Yeah, um, it's been great. It's been I wouldn't say necessarily overwhelming, but it's been a, you know, there's a lot to do. I've been working on this project since me and Dr. Borg we went and met with uh Chaz Haywood back in I think June and yeah. went to the courthouse and the idea was we need to identify you know, as he said, moving forward, are we, you know, what are we, what collection, what kind of records are we going to look at next? And one thing that was kind of floating around the idea was there's all these prohibition records just sitting up there in the courthouse. And I said, you know, how cool is that? And so we went and looked at them and that's kind of what we went with. So that's what I'm doing. It's kind of a show that we're, you know, in the future they could go ahead and do additional S and um related work, but then there's other opportunities to do other things. And prohibition is something that kind of everyone knows at the national level, but this gives a unique opportunity to really show how did this affect a community at a local level, or in, you know, across a county in Rockingham. So that's what we we're doing. So I went in there and it started off with just bought three boxes actually big cardboard boxes of just records, Um, and it's ended up being now, I think we're going to have a total of 8,000 documents that we're scanning, which range from everything from criminal records to affidavits, giving permits and whatnot to local pharmacies that were legally allowed to sell alcohol under prohibition. So our ultimate goal, as uh, Dr. Borg said, as what was done last year, is to get these things digitized and put on a online platforms that are accessible to the public and then kind of continuing on to that we want to create a website where we're going to do like a digital history project that works to interpret this material and also the angle we're trying to go at is kind of um, show the public like what is this process how does a historian start with these documents and get to a written piece of history and kind of demonstrate that process and show that it's an interpretation kind of provide a context of how, like, a historian goes from kind of A to B.
0: Can you tell me about that process? Like, how do you digitize those records? How do you decide which ones you're going to digitize? How you're going to do it? In what order?
2: Yeah, well, um, with, this prohibition, you know, the idea is we grabbed it. So we're looking at national prohibition, which was enacted, you know, under the 18th Amendment. So there are other earlier kind of prohibition efforts at the state level. But these records primarily are, you know, range from 1916 to 1934. So that's kind of the scope of it. And as far as like me personally, when I'm, you know, you do have to kind of limit that when, you know, I can't, you can't tell every single story that documents tell. Right. So you do have to narrow them down. And you know, so you can do that through a specific subject or you know a time frame, you know, temporally. I'm looking at the criminal aspect and using the criminal records, and because I don't have time necessarily for one person to go through every single thing that these documents can tell.
1: So this is so part of this is is to demonstrate to the public and in, in a a media and uh, media politics environment today where so much is being said and done based on hearsay based on things that can't be verified um that are based on unidentified sources right that in the news and in the media it feels like there is no no substance and as historians we can't do that and historians what we're going to do then is is digitize the entire collection it doesn't have there's no selection in digitizing because all of the information will be available to the public. The process of scholarship comes in deciding, having looked and surveyed that data, which things and which questions that we know from studying history related, right? So thematically thinking about crime and punishment, thinking about prohibition, thinking about uh, the 1920s and 30s generally, thinking about the politics of the state, the politics of the nation, right? The politics of, of the region. And then then deciding, well, should we be thinking about gender? Should we think about race? Should we think about criminality? Should we be thinking about a class? Should we be thinking about institutions and politics? And so that's Craig's job as a graduate history student, soon to be a professional himself, is his job to go, here's, based on my readings of scholarship generally, here's what we can look at in the Rockingham County set and find something that reinforces, challenges, presents something new to the scholarship that's already there, based on the actual documents here. And you can see them public as you read my essay. You will see what's there. And you can look at the, the entire collection from which I drew it and challenge me or support me that I got it right. And that kind of very open scholarship, engage with the public, with the public's own records, that are not housed here at JMU. We only do the digital. We only we only host the digital. The originals stay with the community. They stay at the courthouse. JMU is not absorbing or accommodating. You know, um, um, acquiring any of this stuff in any kind of way that prevents the public from having. In fact, we're facilitating the public getting access to their own historical records.
0: Have you seen the community responding to this? Oh yes.
1: Well, like I said last year, with the Shenandoah National Park was was really amazing. Right? Mm-hmm. It was it was really inspiring, and and that's what then allowed us to go to the four VA program here and get a grant from four VA to get the Cohen Center to support us, to get the College of Arts and Letters to support us, to get the Writing and Technical Communications for us, History support us, of course, right? To keep the library on board, right? So the College of Arts and Letters. So so we've had a a bunch of people invest in this for a second year. And that's what we're looking to now sort of put together a a permanent funding package to keep this going and to make it a feature of our graduate school. Yeah, we'd like it to be the graduate history program too, right? But there are other things that other departments, other graduate programs should use this as a model, right, to to make the graduate school a school of engagement uh, as well as discipline um, and to make to make scholarship relevant to the public, whatever that discipline is. And, and it's, it's not that all programs don't already do that. It's just this is another way to do it and to really tie it to this local community.
0: So you've been working on this project for a few months now. What's the most unexpected thing that you've found during your process? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, there's a number of things. I mean, one thing, just tying into what Dr. Borg just said, is the enthusiasm that is behind it in the public. And even with, you know, the SNP and now Probus, you know, we're reaching out to... Various community groups and whatnot. And even like, so we're trying, given the theme of it, we're trying to host an event eventually in the spring when the sub, you know, when the archive, when the digital archive goes live online and we're trying to do a community event. And there's already been, um, the, the local, like, um, brewers and whatnot are interested in creating a community event that ties it all together and presents that. So there's everyone, you know, you, you, you mentioned Prohibition, everyone's immediately like, oh, wow, that's, that's cool. That's interesting. One thing that kind of struck me, and, as going through the records is that JMU itself kind of has a history in all of this. So during during Prohibition, the the rule was anything over one point two eight percent was illegal to sell or distribute. So one point two eight percent alcohol, yeah, alcohol, yeah. correct. Yeah. <laughs> and so. When they seized things, um, in in order to verify that, and um, they had to do a laboratory analysis. So when JMU at the time was the state normal school, the chemistry department there actually performed those laboratory alcohol analyses for the courthouse. So JMU has like a direct kind of role in the history of prohibition here in the Rockingham County
0: wow not
1: even mentioning students (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah how do you so how do you see current students getting involved in this opportunity too
2: well I mean I think the the key here I see is like this interdisciplinary thing like me working with you know I'm not I'm a historian I'm not a website designer you know I'm not you know that someone else might be better at doing public outreach and you know doing these events so I think here I think the key is is I'm producing history and you know, I'm going to produce this article that interprets this material. But then when I reach out to other people that have skills beyond me, we can do something much more. And it can the whole idea behind public history is to make this stuff accessible, this information, your interpretations, your work, useful to the public. And the more people involved and the, with different skill sets, the better that can be done.
0: So who are you connecting with at JMU and beyond to do this project?
2: Well, as we said, Chas Haywood's been uh, invaluable. He's more kind of the fire behind a lot of this. Um, there's also a number of students, you know, worked with um, individuals in GSA or the WRTC, and there's a graduate student, Phil, who's going to be involved with helping me create the uh, website in spring. Um, so, so
1: Phil, Phil Meter, um, Jennifer Almjeld is the professor, right, in Ritzy, uh who is, who is coordinating with us as part of the grant package uh, application. And uh, and then, of course, uh, the Cohen Center, which you represent
2: now. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. um, Innovation services and the various, um, Kevin Haig and then his graduate students have been invaluable in helping me with the technical aspects. Uh,
1: Selena um, is a a, a former uh, history major uh, uh, who's now working on the
2: project. Yeah, she's a public history undergraduate, you know, um, from JMU. And now she's been hired by the library and she's helping me do the digitization process and help me, you know, and she worked in special collections as an archivist. So she has some really invaluable skills and helped me process these 8,000 documents and do something that's usable.
0: Yeah. So what's the hardest part of that?
2: Hmm. Well, there's a number of things, but... The sheer amount of time, I don't think, I think one thing you can't, um, it's hard to demonstrate to people is that the sheer amount of man, man hours that goes into when you just have what, what I'm going to call like just raw, unprocessed documents and getting them to a point where they are scanned and archived and processed. And I mean, it's just, it's hundreds and hundreds of man hours, which it's very time consuming.
1: Because you don't just, you don't just take it like you would your, your um... Um, your paper you know, onto your desktop and throw it on your s- <laughs> flat top scanner and scan it, right? It, so these are historic documents that have been folded up and crinkled in, in some um, you know attic or basement for decades. And right. so m- just the mere act of unfolding them can damage them. So sometimes they have to go to be humidified in the library's um, uh, preservation department, right? And they have to be humidified gradually and eventually pulled apart one by one and unfolded others are have to be treated with with kid gloves um at the point of, of digitizing running the digitization the scanning is while we've got really good scanners it takes time to scan at the
2: 400 dpi is it 400 that we're doing we're using 300, 300 for documents yeah. and yeah. then 600 for images yeah
1: so it's, yeah so um, and so, for that to actually do that scanning, uh, and they're in full color, they're correct? Um, and they're TIFF, or no, we're doing JPEGs. We're doing JPEGs this time. Yeah,
2: yeah these yeah, are TIFFs, yeah. but well, these actually are TIFFs, and yeah, they'll good. be put into PDFs on the Mac. On the but, So, yeah. so yeah,
1: so these transformations, right? And then each time you have to then, in the metadata, say what this uh, document is, where it's from, how it would be, how the original
2: would be found, uh, you know, yeah. if needed to, to verify. But uh, just to give an image of, like, so, like you got three giant cardboard boxes with 8,000 documents and folded up, as he said, oftentimes, you know, multiple times into, like, you know, slender envelopes. And these things have to be, you know, individually, carefully unwrapped, you know, and flattened. Sometimes there's extensive damage or they need to be cleaned. And, you know, you got to do that to 8,000 documents, which is very time-consuming.
1: Paper clips go away, yeah, all these other things. The tape gets to be, remove all, to be removed. Remove all stuff.
2: Flat file it, put it into, you know, acid-free, you know, boxes and folders. And then scanning it and then you have both sides have to be scanned. So you're, you're looking at, as you can see over, you know, 10,000 individual scans.
1: Wow. Yeah. So it's a technical project as well as an intellectual project, right? It's about organization. It's about. It's about trying to be as efficient with your movements. You you, you, do, you start to appreciate, uh, right, the uh, uh, John and Gilbreath Gilbreth and you know that sort of uh, time motion study. Oh, absolutely!
2: Yeah, I, I've had to like plot my time out every yeah. day very carefully yeah. to move yeah. this forward. Yeah, yeah. So.
1: So you start counting seconds. (laughs) It's
0: taking taking too many seconds. (laughs) Yeah. So you said that these records are still available to the community, but it must have been very, very difficult for them to even look at them if they're folded up like that. They haven't been
1: looked at. They literally have not been looked at. Yeah. They've been there, but nobody ever got to see them. they, mm
2: -hmm. They could have had access to them, but to my knowledge, I don't think these were just, like, shoved under a table in boxes and haven't been looked at since they've been there since who knows when. So, yeah, I don't think they've ever been looked at by the public for in a kind of historical viewpoint.
1: So it's part of just saying, hey, did you know these are here? <laughs> right. And then saying, because if we did that, when they weren't digitized, right, and they were just in the courthouse, Chaz couldn't have people coming in, uh, in in the kind of people that might be interested. If 10 people were interested in a single week, it would it would overwhelm their staff. Mm-hmm. Right. And then unfolding them and looking at them would damage them. And pretty soon you'd have nothing. Uh, so... It's Not to really mention, it
2: would be almost impossible for, a, I mean, the, the amount of time it would take to, if you just had all these things unprocessed, to, to find anything useful, I mean, to I, 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 don't, I don't know how you'd find it. You'd have yeah, to sit there and yeah. look through, you know, right. hundreds yeah. and hundreds of case files just randomly that are in a box in no discernible order. Like, it, it's a, yeah. they were in a process, in a way that were unusable.
1: So, this, so, so these records, now the digital version, will be searchable. Right. So there's going to be optical optical character recognition on all the documents. And so you'll be able to go in and keyword search. You know, I'm looking for, I'm looking for what? Flask. You know, how many people used a flask? How long is it a flask, you know, referenced, right? Uh, And the the OCR um, and artificial intelligence will will do a pretty good job of of being able to to find that for you. Which, like I say, if you walked in just looking at the, how long would it take you to find every reference of flask?
2: Right. Right. So. Yeah, between the, you know, the, the word search capabilities and we're going to do as much metadata as we can uh-huh. to assign these things searchable tags and got them categorized so you can, it's a good place to start. And from yeah. there, you can do the word search. And between those two functions, you can get a very good sense of what's yeah. in these. Yeah. You can actually look for the information you need.
1: And then once Craig's essay goes up, once Craig's interpretation history goes up, then it will have those links and, and somebody can, the public can read that, and go, oh, that's really interesting. I want to know more about that, right? They'll know where that document was and they can go to that document and play out from there, right? And see where it goes.
2: And then tying into this whole process of we're kind of like a sense of transparency, like the idea is, is, you know, here's my interpretation. But of course, you know, anyone can challenge this. And, he, and the beauty of this is, is now anyone can go and look exactly, you know, I can, they can pinpoint, you know, and using the notes, they can figure out where, I'm, where I came up with that interpretation, what piece of information did I look at in these documents that led me to that conclusion? And if someone is like, man, how did he come to that? They can actually go look at that information themselves now and either agree or disagree to the interpretation that I came up with. So we're excited. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously. For good reason.
0: <laughs> so where do the original documents go after you've digitized them?
1: Back to the courthouse. They remain the county. They, they remain with the community. Mm-hmm. JMU does not absorb them. Good to know. Is, which is critical. I mean, that's that's those are the those are the kinds of relationships with the community that, that we want to maintain. We're not taking anything from the community. We're trying to contribute to the community. We're trying to, to augment what the community has. Um, and Chaz has been a fabulous partner for this. Um, he's 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 uh, this wouldn't have happened without him. And what he's done is he has now infected courthouses throughout Virginia. So. The Shenandoah National Park project last year has now become its own conversation outside outside this project, because uh, Christy Kendall, a former history MA from us, who is now worked from our from, from JMU, who's now working um, with um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on the on the uh, her organization right now, but but her organization is uh, is securing funding. She is the 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 other courthouses expressed an interest. So a number of courthouses expressed interest. She followed up. And so Shenandoah National Park itself and every county that has contributed, that was involved in the removal of residents to create Shenandoah National Park, every one of those courthouse um, clerks has agreed that this would be worth them doing as well. And, And so a separate group of us are trying to Secure funding to get that to happen. And Christie has come up with funding, private funding outside the university. So we're trying to say, okay, can JMU libraries and administration support the, the digital infrastructure? We won't accept, we won't take those records, but we want to, and we don't, and those, those counties don't want to send their records to JMU. They want somebody there. So can we set up a, a training system, a, a whole network that will be multi year? That will train volunteers at the various courts involved in the Shenandoah National Park project, right? So that they can do the digitization on their own, right? And pay their own local volunteers to go through the records because a lot of families and descendants have been working on these things um, manually, um, you know, just on their own. Um, and they see the this uh, exploring Rockingham's past uh, project as a, a model that they would love to adopt. So we're so it's, it's spreading in, in a couple of different directions.
0: Do you guys see yourself kind of like at the forefront of this kind of project?
1: In a sort of deer in the headlights way, like
0: forefront as in, oh, my God, there's something coming at me. <laughs> so. What do you see as the most difficult part of presenting this, especially when you're trying to get it out there and trying to get more people to do this kind of project?
1: Uh, you mean presenting to the public or presenting it as a model to be adopted by others? As a model. Yeah. Um, that's what this year is about, is let's make it work a second time. Let's get a second cycle. Um, and last year, we did not quite get to the interpretive essay part because the, the digitization became so overwhelming. Um, so this year is is really... The pressure on Craig is to go from here <laughs> to by the end of the year by spring having an essay, right, an online actual interpretation that gets that part done. Once that model is that cycle is completed, then then it's incumbent upon myself and Kevin Haig and and uh, Jennifer Elmjed and uh, Evan Friss uh, and uh, to you know, as as faculty and staff to go. Here's. Here's what the the meta of this project is and and what the procedures are that that we think were important are important going forward um, and and what we would like to see um, reproduced here, how it becomes how it becomes even further transdisciplinary and then how does it become how does, how does it transfer? Institutions is it something that that Bridgewater would like to do, Bridgewater College, that EMU would like to do, that that Lord Fairfax Community College would like to do, right? Do we can we become a, a sort of a center for that kind of thing in in this area? Who knows? Got no idea.
2: I think as far as getting to like one of the hardest obstacles again goes back to just the scale of it, you know. So when we initially looked at the prohibition records, we had an estimate of I think about. Four thousand records, and then as the summer wore on, and I'm in there, you know, processing this material. Another box materializes, and then another, and then before you know it, you know, this stuff doubles and then triples, and then you get into, like I said, hundreds of man hours of work. Which I think, why? I think a lot of people, when they think like, oh, why are why isn't all historical material just online? Wouldn't that be nice? But me personally, now that I sit down and have been doing this from beginning at you know A to Z, I realize why it's very time consuming.
0: Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that
1: yeah yeah it's, it's a lot of work that goes into it. because you because as historians and as archivists and as librarians we have to preserve the original. We can't damage it we can't we can't just run it through an automatic machine that just feeds it and tears it and, you know and, and runs the risk of destroying any single piece.
0: So Even that. the smallest scribble matters.
1: Smallest scribble matters. You never know. You never know. What, mar- what what Charles Darwin wrote in the margins of his books is as important as what he wrote in his books.
0: <laughs> yes. So how much further do you see this project going, like, at JMU? Do you already have a grad student interested for next year? Are you looking for one? What's happening there? We are looking there? for
1: one. We're looking for, yeah, so... So I don't think finding graduate students interested will be the problem. I think finding funding is sort of our next step, right? And I think and I think we have really good support um at multiple levels. Uh and I think this is I think we are are proving this to be a, a relevant important project that that meets the kinds of um the kinds of directions that we want our graduate school to go, that the kinds of Engagement that we want the, the university to 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 practice and um, and to uh, symbolize um, uh, in the in the community and broader. So I think it's got I think it's got legs. Um, I'm I'm pretty confident in it. And you know it's just a matter of of um, you know between classes and grading and lecturing and <laughs> giving up with the time to do this too <laughs> and mm-hmm. to chaperone this you know to its to its maturity. And this is the year. That this happens, so
2: yeah. And overall, it for me, it's just been a lot of fun. I mean, that's the other part is you know I'm get to do you know this is going to work as the completion of my master's. You know, this is functioning as my thesis project, and so on top of you know getting to do. You know, I'm fulfilling my, you know, requirement for masters. i can have a lot of fun, do, you know, doing this project. I mean, working with, you know, the community, working with multiple departments within the school. I mean, you know, we're planning events. So, I mean, how cool, right? You know, I, I feel like it's kind of the epitome of what public history should be, and I'm really enjoying it.
0: That's great. Well, thank you for joining me for Conversations at the Cohen Center.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: And thank you to our listeners for joining us for the first episode of our podcast. Thank you for listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at @jmu_cohen_center. JMU Cohen If you'd like to get in touch, email us at cohencenter at jmu.edu. Our intro and outro music come from Phase 3 by Zylo Zico. You can find out more about them at freemusicarchive.org.